But uh, that was a weird thing on my ear, so we stick with this. Good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, just to clarify what Zach said, because uh, I was going to say something anyway. Um, as of next month, you and our family, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary of partnership uh, in ministry. So I want to thank you for that uh, because um, we couldn't be there if it weren't for you and your support, not just financially, but also prayerfully. So thank you. I'm going to do something a little different this morning, uh, different than what I normally do. I am going to speak. I'm going to speak from God's Word, but I'm also going to do it while I share my testimony. Uh, As I look out, there's actually a lot of people here that I don't recognize, that I don't know. And of course, that is a good thing. Uh, That's the way it should be. And so uh, since it's been a while since I have spoken and, and the church has grown since the last time we were here, I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity to not just share the Word, but to also share my testimony. So I'm going to do both of those together. They're going to be blended throughout this morning. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, just go ahead right now and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 so we're ready when we get there. As Zach said, I grew up in this church. Uh, From the time I was born, I was in a nursery. I don't know if it was that one or in another part of the church, but I was in the nursery. There are a lot of people in this church right now who are listening to me, who probably took care of me. Uh, And so um, uh, we both survived, if you're listening to this. Um, So this is a special place uh, in our lives. It's great to be here. As you know, in January, uh, my dad passed away. uh, And I'm thankful for the Lord that we were here in the States when it happened, that we could be there together as a family. And that happened in mid-January, and through the rest of January, almost every single day, I was getting a card or a letter through the mail. People encouraging us, telling us that they're praying for us. And that, is, that was so meaningful. And if you've been in a situation of loss, you know how people's words uh, can mean a lot. Um, if nothing else, it's the thought that counts, as the, the saying goes. And it really did mean a lot to us. And for those of you who are, I guess, 20 years or older, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in that, but do you remember the days when we actually didn't have email? Remember that day? And if you wanted to communicate to somebody, you had to send them a letter or it was a phone call. And if you're like me, getting a letter... <laughs> Is, is really nice. In today's day and age, it, we, well, it means someone went out of their way. It's a lot easier to send an email. So I think that if you're like me, you still appreciate letters. Did you know there's a letter in the Bible? Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter from God. And I don't know about you, but to receive a letter from God has got to be the best kind of letter that you can receive. And we're going to end up looking at that in just a few minutes. I was raised here, went to youth group here. Uh, I was ordained here. I was commissioned here to go to Spain originally. And 
That's exactly what we did in 1998. We left for Spain with all the hopes and dreams that a missionary has of what God is going to do with you and your gifts in another part of the world. But not long after arriving in Spain, I began language school because I had to learn Spanish. My wife was fluent in Spanish, but I only knew a few words. And so I had to spend two years in language study before I could officially start at the Spanish Bible Institute in Barcelona, which I did two years later. And every faculty member at the Spanish Bible Institute had another job besides teaching. And I was hoping that mine would be the groundskeeper. There were all kinds of different jobs, but one of them was being the gardener. And I love gardening. And I'm looking at this campus in Spain going, yes, this is definitely my calling. I should be the groundskeeper. Well, on my first day of work at the Spanish Bible Institute, after my official years of language study was over, the administration of the school promptly let me know I was not going to be the groundskeeper. I had made it my known, my will known, and they made theirs known. I was not going to be the groundskeeper. And also on my first day of work at the Spanish Bible Institute, the administration said, we've reached this point in our history where we are ready now to pursue accreditation with the European Accreditation Organization. And one of the areas that schools need to be accredited in is their library. That's part of accreditation. Your library has to pass certain standards. What do you know about running a library? I said, I don't know anything about running a library. In fact, as a student, I probably should have gone to the library more than I actually did. To which they said, congratulations, you are now the librarian. (laughs) I wasn't joking. I, I really didn't know anything about running a library, let alone preparing one for accreditation. So I was already out of my depth on the first day of work. Well, it was... It was challenging, to say the least. Um, Not only did I have this new job I knew nothing about, I also discovered that teaching in Spanish, Old Testament in Spanish, was not the, the dream I thought it was going to be. I was constantly making mistakes. And if you know anything about the Spanish culture, uh, they are not afraid to tell you what they think using all kinds of body language. And so it was a bit humbling, a bit discouraging. And for those those years in Spain, starting in the year 2000, from 2000 to 2002, were some of the toughest years of my life. There was hardly a day that went by where I was wondering, really? Is, Is this what missionary life is like? I struggled to communicate, not just in Spanish in the neighborhood, but especially as I was trying to teach in it. And there were times when I just said, I wanted to say, forget this. Just just forget this. But by God's grace, my attitude eventually changed. And I decided that if I had to do this, I was going to do it the best of my ability, the best of my ability. 
The biggest hurdle in all those years, and the one that gave me the most grief, actually was that library. And I, need to, I needed to get this library up to standards. So I traveled to the U.S. I met with librarians at the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton. I bought books on how to run a library. I researched what books should be in a Spanish theological library. I interviewed with librarians all over Europe, especially in the United Kingdom, as to what they experienced when they went through accreditation, what I needed to do to get this library in shape. And over that two-year period, we eventually got that library to where it needed to be to pass accreditation. So things turned out well, right? Well, if they did, why aren't we still in Spain? Good question, right? Toward the end of our fourth year, the end of our first term in Spain, several things happened simultaneously that brought me down to my knees. The first had to do with our son, Caleb, who's here this morning. Caleb, as a small three-year-old, was just entering the Spanish school system. Now, he was our first child. Now, if you remember the days, those of you who have children, your first child, you don't know what's normal, so we didn't know what was normal or not normal. I mean, by the time you get down to me, you're the third child or later, you know, you could be bleeding to death, and your parents are like, ah, yeah, it's a flesh wound, it could be fine. (laughs) But your first child, you know, it's new. It's a new experience. Never had children before. We didn't know what was normal, what was not normal. And living in a multilingual environment was very, very difficult for our firstborn son. And Caleb was struggling to learn language, not just Spanish, but even English. And he was completely and utterly lost in the Spanish school system, more so than these teachers I've ever seen from uh, a foreigner. So they met with us, and they said, we don't know what the deal is, but your son is way, way, way behind. And if you love your son, you will think about raising him in a monolingual environment to give him the best chance to succeed. Well, that was hard to hear. And about the same time that we heard that, the administration met with me And they said, Jonathan, we appreciate the two years, the two long, very difficult years that you worked hard to learn this job and to get this library up to speed. But we have decided we are not going to go for accreditation. Um, Yeah, that was discouraging. Both of those things happened really close to each other. It was like a one-two punch. And we lived very close to the beach, so I still remember going out one day, walking on the beach and looking up at the sky and saying, Lord, please tell me that you have a plan. Because right now I don't see it. Please tell me that all of these years of work in Spain, that they weren't for nothing. Please tell me that you have a plan. And I can assure you all, God always has a plan. Let's look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. I want to take you back a little further in history, actually a lot further, to the 6th century B.C., to the other side of the Mediterranean, 
And here we're going to find another of God's servants who is down in the dumps wondering what God is up to. His name is Jeremiah. And he is a prophet living in the days when Babylon is power is in power and they have subdued the land of Judah. The last king uh, on the throne is Zedekiah. He's weak. He's a puppet king. And very soon he is also going to be exiled. Nebuchadnezzar the king has already taken groups of people all around Judah to various parts of the Babylonian empire, most of them to Babylon itself. And you can imagine how they're feeling, these Jews, who have been removed from the promised land and relocated to, of all places, the city of Babylon. Now, Babylon is a, is a symbol in Scripture of evil. You couldn't have gone more opposite than Jerusalem to Babylon. And you can imagine, they were uprooted, removed from their, their farms, from their homes, from their family, and placed in, for them, the worst possible place, place of Babylon. So Jeremiah writes them this letter, and, and if we want to, we can easily say that it's really God writing the letter. He's a prophet. He's writing for God. So he writes this letter to these exiles in Babylon. Now, I don't normally accentuate my big idea, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm already outside the box, so I might as well keep going. And this is what we're going to learn this morning. God is sovereign in all our circumstances, and we can put our hope and trust in him. It's that simple. So that's what we want to look at. Let's start by reading our text, starting at verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, by the way, who has a great lineage, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. This is what the letter said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wow. Stop right there. Can you imagine how this must have been received by God's people living in Babylon. I can hear them saying right now, well, what did you expect from Jeremiah? He never has anything good to say. I'm sure the last thing that they wanted to hear was settle down, make a life in Babylon, because it's going to be a while before you get home. Now, I don't want to focus too much on them. I want us to focus on God. So let's look at some of the things that 
he has revealed in this situation that is also applicable to us today. Number one, when your circumstances in life are challenging, God's will is that you don't give up. It is never God's will that we should give up. Now, we can understand why the people might feel this way, right? They're captives in a foreign land. They don't want to be there. They don't want anything to do with these people or this place. But God says, I want you to continue to live. Continue to move on and make the best of your situation. Get a job. Build a home. Plant a garden. Get married. Have children. Have grandchildren. In other words... Despite your circumstances, you are to make the best of your situation. And in so doing that, you will become a blessing to those around you. God is a missionary God at all times. He is always thinking about the big picture, even if we're not. The Apostle Paul will pick up a similar idea in Romans 12, when he will say, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Yeah, I'm sure the exiles didn't have a lot of love for their neighbors there in Babylon. But God's will was clear. Do not give up. A few years ago, a group from Las Vegas called Imagine Dragons made a big splash on the global music scene. One of their items, uh, albums excuse me, was called Night Visions. It sold over 2 million copies and went two times multi-platinum. One of the songs on that album is called Nothing Left to Say, and these are the lyrics. Who knows how long I've been awake now. The shadows on my wall don't sleep. They keep calling me, beckoning. Who knows what's right? There's nothing left to say now. I'm giving up, giving up. I'm giving up, and he's giving up a lot, as you can see. I'm giving up, giving up, giving up. That message is just the opposite of the message we read in Scripture. Paul will write, for example, in Galatians, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Clearly, God needed to send his people this message in Babylon. I imagine that a lot of them were thinking, what's the point? What's the point of even living? God has forsaken us. We're in a place of idolatry and evil. And believe me, Babylon was all that. And if it wasn't bad enough that, that many of them felt like giving up in this spiritually oppressive place, they were surrounded by bad preachers. Now, there's nothing worse than a bad preacher, okay? That brings us to our next point. When your circumstances in life are challenging, guard your mind with the truth. And when I say truth, I mean, I mean the Word of God. Look at this. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your Word, which is truth. And why is this so important? Because we need to be able to discern between what is true and what is a lie between what will help us when we're in the valley and and what will just lead us into deeper shadows. This is exactly what happened to the exiles. Let's continue in, in Jeremiah. Yes, 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Aha! So we have these prophets or these fortune tellers going around preaching and teaching that everything's going to be just fine. You can imagine them shouting in the streets, You are God's people! Hang in there because soon we will be back in the land. You will be dancing in the streets of Jerusalem before you know it. God says, that's that's not the message I'm giving you. Do not listen to them. They're teaching and preaching lies. You You ever heard a preacher say something like, God loves you and he promises you health, Wealth and ah, you know how it goes health, wealth, and prosperity. Aren't you glad we don't have anyone like that in the 21st century? There are dozens of warnings about people like this. Funny thing is, God is promising prosperity. But the problem is, is that um, I think sometimes our definition of prosperity isn't the same. It's his definition. Prosperity doesn't equal wealth. The Bible will actually have a lot to say about this. In Matthew chapter 7, for example, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Paul will say, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Notice the first part of that, for the time will come. I think that time has already come. That brings us to our last point. When your circumstances in life are challenging, have hope because God has a good plan for you. Let's keep reading. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Wow, now I can't imagine that there was anything that God's people wanted more than to leave Babylon and return to Judah. And God says, I'm going to do that, but only after 70 years are completed for Babylon. And that's an important point. Verse 11 is one of the most quoted verses in the Old Testament. We love this verse. We put it on calendars. We put it on refrigerator magnets. We love this. But for some reason, we ignore verse 10. It's true God has a plan for all of us, but you know, it hardly ever happens according to our schedule. Have you ever noticed that? And if God's plan seems to take a little longer than we would like, we begin to question if it's really a good plan at all. So we search 
for what our itching ears want to hear. The televangelist or the author or that guest speaker who says to you that he or she knows God's plan for your life and how you can turn your situation around, they don't really know what God has planned for you and me. They don't. Only God knows that. They cannot say that if you pray, have faith, and send in a donation to their ministry, that you'll be healed, you'll get the job. They can't promise things like that. So we need to live by faith and trust that God's plan for our lives is the best plan. Now, I know from personal experiences that this isn't always easy. I'll admit I'm the kind of person that wants, all the know, wants to know all the details. I, I want to say to God, okay, Lord, you know, email me that plan. I'll look it over. Okay? Uh, maybe we can negotiate some of the details. You know what? God doesn't need to confer with us. He already knows what is best for us, and any counsel from us will not improve his plan. Now, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this next year. And I can't promise you anything. But there is a promise that I can give you. And it's this. If we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Now, that is something I can promise you. There are a lot of promises like that in God's word. So for those living in Babylon, until God's plan was fulfilled and until those 70 years were completed, what were they to do? We keep reading, we find, verse 13, they were to seek the Lord with all their heart. You know, God always wants this. He hasn't changed at all. He still wants to be in a relationship with you and me. He says, when you seek me, you will find me. Sometimes we feel like God's not listening. You ever feel that way? We were just having dinner last night with some dear friends of ours that we went to seminary with. So we've known them for 25 years. And she says, I haven't heard God, God's voice in two years. And as we drove away, we thought about that. And I said to Becky, it reminds me of Saul. How Saul was tormented because he could no longer hear God. Remember that? If you've been in that place, it's a tough place. But don't be fooled. God is always listening. And if you don't hear him talking right now, he has a reason. Be patient. Where we live in Ireland... There are less than one-half or 1% evangelical believers. We, as a country, have no more than, say, 40,000 evangelical. Muslims outnumber us now, easily. The church is growing. And, of course, I don't know how many in the Catholic Church might know the Lord, but I can safely say that there are very few believers, statistically, in Ireland compared to most places in the world. And so people are spiritually dry, and they're looking for answers. They're looking for for something. 
The problem is, is that they're oftentimes looking in the wrong places. Jesus says, and I love this verse, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What a great promise. The author of Hebrews writes that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I can tell you from personal experience, that is definitely true. In 2002, we left Barcelona. We came back here. We lived around the corner from the church and from Greg. We took the counsel we had received about Caleb seriously, returned to North America. We returned not having a clue what our future was going to be. We had spent a great part of our married life preparing to go to the mission field, to go to the mission field, and now to return with a big question mark. God, what are you doing? We were hurt. We were disappointed, completely unsure of what to do next. Later that autumn, Becky and I went to a conference in Colorado where we met with other missionaries from our sending uh, agency. One of them, a fellow by the name of Jesse, who was from Ireland. And as I shared my story and as I shared my grief, Jesse met with me and said, you know, you teach Old Testament. Right now at the Irish Bible Institute in Dublin, the Old Testament teacher there is retiring. I could put in a word for you, if you want, with the director, Jacob Reynolds. And I thought to myself, Ireland, yeah, they speak English there. (laughs) Sort of. Said, would you do that? He said, sure. So we came back from Colorado, and a few weeks later, I got a call from Jesse. And Jesse says, I've got good news. I've arranged for you to have an interview with Jacob Reynolds, the director of the Irish Bible Institute. So in February of 2003, Becky, very pregnant with Evan, we traveled to Ireland. Well, we were green. Uh, we didn't know anything about Ireland. And now we laugh when we, look at, when we think about how we even pronounce the names. We got there. We got to the Irish Bible Institute, and we, we met with Jacob Reynolds, the director, who literally started off the conversation by saying, I just want you to know we do not hire Americans. So I'm thinking, well, at least we got to go to Ireland, never been here before. (laughs) But we talked anyway. He asked questions. I gave my testimony. I explained my educational background. I talked about my experience in Spain, what I learned there, my struggles. At, At this point, he stops in the conversation and he says, you know, Jonathan, Because you lived in Spain for four years, I think you're in a different situation. Let's keep talking. So I started to talk about my role as a librarian. At this point, the dean of faculty, Patrick Mitchell, stood up 
and said, can I join this conversation? Obviously, it wasn't the private one. So he comes around and he sits down, and now I have the dean of faculty and the director, and we're talking and we're dialoguing, and they're asking me all kinds of questions about what it takes to get a library ready for accreditation because they say to me, well, it just happens that we have just begun dialogue with the University of Wales. We would like to get the Irish Bible Institute accredited. Do you think that you would be able to help us get the library ready for accreditation? I said, yes, I do. And after nearly two hours of dialogue, Jacob finally said, we would like to invite you to come work for us at the Irish Bible Institute. We arrived one year later in March of 2004. I began teaching at IBI that autumn and started to get the library ready for accreditation, which we did, and it passed with flying colors. I've been teaching Old Testament and church history since 2004, and I love it, and we even became Irish citizens in 2013. And if that isn't enough, my son Caleb, who struggled at a young age to learn any language, is now a linguistic student at Liberty University and was just accepted for an internship in 2018 with Wycliffe Bible Translators. When I look back at that walk that I had with the Lord on the beach, and I cried out to him and I said, Lord, please tell me that you have a plan. Now I can hear him. I can hear him say, yes, son, I have a plan. I have a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. I have a plan to give you hope and a plan to give you a future. What a better way to end this message than the words of Paul. We know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Amen. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I don't know if you're at a place in your life like we were, where you can honestly say, really, things aren't going very well. In fact, I wonder if God's even listening to me anymore. He is. I was fortunate I was blessed that I was able to see God's plan in hindsight. But that might not be true for all of us. Some of us might not know God's complete and perfect plan until we go to be with him. But I can assure you, when that day happens, it'll be a wow moment. We will look back and go, Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for the way that you worked in my life. God bless you. Please stand with us again as we worship.